Works for me. Alrighty, so this fine and fateful morning, we are talking acting and all the different processes with acting and just kind of a general writer's perspective of the role of the actor as they do their thing. So Mr. Dylan Grun is guest number three on the study. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So yeah, we've we've been talking loosely about a bunch of different titles, but we haven't talked about individual artists quite as much yet. So we wanted to have Dylan on and talk about some of his processes, some of his past experiences with embracing characters and taking them on. Actually, he's read more scripts than probably either of us have. You've worked quite extensively. So where would you like to start? Yeah, well, when I was in The Joker... No, I'm just kidding. I was never in the Joker. But I think it's funny because it's funny that we're talking about this because I just recently sort of dove into just uh, the method formula of acting has come up a lot mm-hmm. recently, which is kind of interesting. And um, uh, there's a guy who wrote a book about it. It's a pretty thick book. I think it's like 500 pages named Isaac Butler. Um, and uh, oh, okay. it was yeah, it's just interesting because it's sort of resurfacing like what is that exactly? And I feel like it's a little you know, pretty related to what we're talking about here and just immersing yourself in the character and the story. And, you know, not everyone, I'd say, actor-wise, maybe follows that sort of formula, but I think it's it's still very much embedded in, you know, performance and and just how, how actors operate to this day, you know? And I think we kind of forget yeah. that. We're like, you know what, this came from somewhere. Not that we take it for granted, but yeah, it's really interesting just like, the the actor's process and and kind of fully immersing yourself in the story and feeling and sensation and all that stuff. Yeah, and I think it was Brian Cox recently, right off of the heels of Succession, he was talking about method acting and just he was kind of sloughing it off, and not to you know single him out particularly, but it does raise an interesting debate of well, what is and isn't method acting. I think in his perspective, it's just kind of like you walk on and you're hired for your personality you'll bring your personality to the set and that should be simply it. But I think there's another side to that coin where it's like, where does the work actually fall? And I think that there's something to crafting a character and actually immersing yourself. And I think actors like Christian Bale who really dive in and fully take on a character and immerse themselves in a role versus like an Oscar Isaac. Sometimes he just can kind of walk on set and switch it on and off. He's been known for kind of spinning it on a dime. So there's, I think that there's a bunch of shades of gray there where you can kind of get deeper or more snappy with the work. Yeah, totally. I think that's also interesting too, because along with obviously having that process, there's everyone, I mean, ultimately actors kind of get in their own way by thinking that they need to have a process that everyone else is using. But eventually you learn to kind of shape it into your own. You're not following. Sure, there are steps to creating a character, building a character, and ultimately that performance to light, whether it's film or stage or TV. But like I said, I think I think people get in their own way sometimes because they're following these steps and they think, oh, well, this is, I got to stick to this. But you look at some of some really prominent actors like Joaquin Phoenix or Christian Bale or Brian Cox yeah. even, or a lot of uh, Adrian Brody, and they all they all do it slightly mm-hmm. differently. Some of them stay, stay stay in character during the whole time, like Daniel Day Lewis. Some of them, like you said, they can you know kind of snap in and out of it if, if they need to. Which I think a lot of that comes down to maybe how mentally sane you are, which most actors, yeah. myself included, are not <laughs> mentally sane. So, <laughs> and actually. I was talking to a friend the other day about this. So we think that method acting, or at least to general common knowledge, sort of really 
happened during Marlon Brando's beginnings. And that's kind of where things really yeah. changed in the industry, Eli Kazan, all of that. But but strangely, it was happening in during the, around the time of Aristotle and Plato, and it was actually banned because someone, some actor on stage, was so ingratiated in the role that they literally took a sword and stabbed someone on stage and killed them. And so, uh, basically, the, <laughs> oh the ruler at the time was, like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. No, 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 we're not. Yeah, if we're going to be just killing each other because we really feel like we're the character, then I think we're just going to make everything really superfluous and crazy and over the top. Just the fact that you brought up Aristotle, I could hear Hans' like inner <laughs> child just spur hey, up. and hey. like <laughs> I don't begrudge we've, you we've, your uh, coping mechanism. <laughs> we 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 didn't even warn Dylan or vamp him in on this. We've been talking our Aristotle for a couple episode strings now, and so that's just a funny coincidence that you bring yeah. that up. I love it. Well, it's yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, another talking point on this. We we kind of forget about the history of an actor or or even even theater. I guess if you want to get more specific, but there, it's such a long. It's been around for so damn long, and and certainly with with the Greeks. I mean, that was a huge influence on storytelling and and definitely specificity. I, I don't think. Shakespeare would have been anything without the Greeks. I mean, I don't, oh, absolutely. I can't yeah. back up that I know that he read Aristotle or Aristophanes or anything like that, but it, I'm sure that it had a huge influence on him in some way. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's funny how it, even all the way back then with the limited levels of communication, there still was pinging off of different artists, inspire and take the ball, roll it to the next thing. And it was a little bit more slower going back in the day, but it was it was still some of the same basic principles. It was you see what one artist has done and you take it, you put your own spin on it. Yeah, and yeah, you know, and it's funny you say that because going back to, to method acting, when people get in their own way with that stuff also, I think they also forget how simple a lot of it it is too. You still have to do the work, don't get me wrong. You still mm -hmm. have to do the research, script analysis, really get into the nitty gritty. But a story is a beginning, a middle, and end. It's as simple as that. And when you are digesting a work, that's that's really what you should be ultimately thinking of. It's okay, this character's starting here and they're ending here. And I need to make sure I do that justice by honoring where they are in the beginning, the middle, and end. And I, I think it's easy to forget that it's that simple. Yeah, and I, th I think a good solid collaboration between the big heads involved and bigger machines such as like a film or a game or a bigger form of storytelling, I think when you have a multifaceted effort like that, I think communication is key. And I think when you have multiple visions coming at something to try and unify things, I think the more you can interflow those ideas and get things across the board as much as possible in the early stages, pre-pro and everything, or even if you can, it's tougher to, but if you can get more heads in the writer's room, I think it's beneficial. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I had a teacher at one point in an acting class say to me, and this is, I think it's a common thing that's kind of thrown around, but outside influence is super important. And she, she more or less said, I'm paraphrasing here, but if you really want to grow with what types of characters you can play and, and certainly experiences that those characters can have within a story. You need to go out and live your life. You can go in acting class all you want. Yeah. You can get on film sets all you want, but those are very singular experiences and a lot, and they obviously have constant similarities of things that just happen over and over and over again. And if you really want to experience, if you really want to create really deep characters and and make these amazing worlds within stories 
Like you, you really need to go out and just try things. Don't be so afraid. And, and even to the point of, and I'm not afraid to admit this, but there's a point where I was single for a long, long time. I'm married now, obviously, mm-hmm. so I'm not single anymore. But I, I was I was kind of like afraid to, and I didn't realize this for a long time, but I was sort of afraid to, to date again because I was, I didn't want that feeling of being hurt possibly or being disappointed or rejected or whatever. And I'd go on these dates and I'd be like, that's just, it'd like be one date. And I'd be like, yeah, what? I don't really want this right now or whatever. Yeah. But ultimately I was like, I was like, man, I am hiding from experiencing something. And in turn, and this, is gonna, this might sound kind of messed up, but in turn, that's something that I could, that totally would help me grow as an actor. There's other yeah, things you get absolutely. from dating as well, obviously, but it's things even like that, where you put your fear so much in front of you that it's a hard, it's hard to get around it. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. You brought up the subject of education and life experiences. I, I actually, when I was around 23, right after we got out of school, I was considering going off to check out the academy and take, take some, some courses there. But from everybody I had talked to who had done the program Younger in Life kept telling me, don't do it until you have life experience. It's not as valuable until you've gone out and you've actually gotten nitty gritty with it and tried to make, try to produce some things on your own. Get out there and have some real life experiences and then come back and it's worth tenfold, which, which I always thought was interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I mean, you look at I'm a great filmmaker. You look at any actor, any set designer. I mean, I think their 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 vision is absolutely fueled by everything that's happened in their past, whether it's trauma or positive memories. Or I think, yeah, I, I think you can't really create something that's you without allowing you to take in just this whole world and life that we're in. Not to sound like a Hallmark card or something, but you get the idea. <laughs> That'd be it's a pretty stellar Hallmark oh. card, though. Go ahead. Who's talking? Who's talking? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> you are, man, man. You are. <laughs> no, I was just say it's funny, too. We're talking on a subject like that, that experience. I've noticed how, like, sometimes just rewatching a movie I haven't seen in a while or a book, for example, I can remember some of the stories they would have you read in high school. And in high school, you're like, I don't want to read this. I don't I just don't. Or, or I'm just not understanding or getting what what the story means. Most of the time, it's just to take a test on it and pass and then dump it out of your memory later. But having read some of those other books like Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison or mm-hmm. like To Kill a Mockingbird or even stuff like that, I've gotten a lot more out of it now that I'm older and 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 understand it, have that, that, that depth that you were talking about that comes with just life experience and something that I wouldn't have got had I, had I not done other things. I think there's a lot of storytelling that deals with heartbreak. And I think until you've gone through it, a several a several versions of that, I don't think you can really grasp some of what a lot of those stories are getting at. And I feel like the more I watch of movies like La, La La Land or stuff where there's serious heartbreak in it, it's until you've gone through that, you can't really fully grasp that. <laughs> like, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, there's, there's a level of being able to relate to things in movies or stage or TV. But going back to what you're, what you're saying, Han, also, I think this happens all the time in, in acting, certainly for me, but even my peers, but also just, just in life as a whole, you'll, you'll read something. Uh, and it's like you're saying just now, you, you might have not, I think I'm getting this at least, you might have not really understood it when you read it, but then 10 years from now, you're like, oh, that's what that was. And it happens all the time with, with mm-hmm. acting too. Like, yeah. you know, we, I, I, there's, I can't tell you how many times a class I had like five years ago, 
there's like one thing that the teacher is trying to tell me. I didn't, I, I maybe understood a little bit then, but then I'm like taking out the trash or something and it smells really bad. And suddenly like that memory pops in my head and I'm like, oh, that's what she meant. Okay, I get it now. But, that's, but that's, that's the beauty of it, right? Is that these people have created these things that stick with you forever, but then ultimately you, you, you have to be in a place to really understand it and relate to it. I think it's so funny that you bring up just a random snap memory happening when you're doing a mundane activity. I love stuff like that. <laughs> it happens all the time. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's embarrassing how, many, how much it happens, actually. Yeah. Well, it's like one thing that I don't know why this just popped in my head now when you were saying that. There's a line in Congo, and Brian and I joke about it a lot, too, where they're being interrogated by the military. And the one character is like, this is pure Kafka. And the guy, and the guy just <laughs> yeah. says, who's Kafka? Tell me. And, tell me <laughs> and even i always just found that funny for the sake of the way the actors delivered it and that was it and then as years gone have gone on i'm like oh now i get what's kind of happening there where they're going with it and it was yeah. just it was just like i said just like some mundane thing one day where i'm like oh okay i appreciate and understand this more having been through other things in life and taking a different perspective on it yeah, and that's that's also another like interesting side to it all. Again, tell me if I'm sound like a, a broken record, but going back to going back to like how a lot of like creating characters and things like that, a big part of it is also understanding the writers. And I think what mm-hmm. what you're just kind of saying, Han, in a way, is you didn't really understand it, but at first, but that's the beauty of of Kafka is that like there's this legacy that was built through through his work, and that's and that's like something like you can you can refer to his work as a thing that's crazy to me in a way yeah. if you really think about it and it's the same as when, when you're trying to build a character sometimes you're looking for similarities in all of their work and you're like, oh wow this person sam shepherd's a, a huge influence on me as a playwright and all almost all of his work has some element of alcoholism and you're like oh okay this really sets the tone for how a lot of these plays are the feelings and sensation and ideas that where they come from and where you might read it sarcastically and you're like, what it doesn't really fit with like the subtext here in a way but yeah that's that's like it's interesting how these legacies that are built by these writers you can talk about them almost as if they're a genre or a, or a verb even or something which is it's just wild on the, on the subject of plays too i think that there's been a lot of interesting work with play adaptations of recent and i think you look at stuff like denzel washington's take on fences mm-hmm. or most recently brendan Fraser in the whale all really successful plays that someone took in them were, well what if this what if we put this on screen and it's, i think that that t- there's a tone there you can tell it plays like a stage play you can t- you can see the adaptation lines and i think that there's something whenever i find out something that i've watched as a play i find that very interesting because you can kind of see the inspiration lines there of oh well this this works really well on stage but it can, there are ways that it can be translated which i i, I I think adaptation work can be really interesting. Yeah, I think that's another thing I was talking to a friend the other day about, a director friend of mine, and he was he mostly does, he pretty much exclusively does film, but he was saying, yeah, I might try doing maybe some stage stuff, directing a play or something. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I think, and this isn't a knock against film directors by any means, but I think if you're able to direct a play and create that world then the imagine the world you can create when you have unlimited area for a camera to move around and these the change of sets and things like that and i think that's why like a lot of plays are it it is easy to adapt them in a way to to the screen just because you can suddenly 
really create that world instead of relying just on the stage, what the stage has to offer, and then obviously the actors as well. An actor friend of mine who, who stuck pretty strictly to stage play for a while, he loved that form, but he had a lot of difficulty transitioning from stage work over to film because he was constantly overacting. He was projecting too far. He was, he was for all intents and purposes, he was reaching beyond the camera in terms of what he was performing. And it was difficult for him, but he made it work really well. And he's, he's suddenly like, he's, he's picking up these bigger gigs and he's, he's doing really well, but it was a difficult transition for him, which I always found super interesting because he was very talented on stage. He could sing, he could throw his voice so far. And you felt his performance every time, every performance I caught, I was like, that's, that's definitely him. Like, but yeah, I've found that interesting that it's, it's tough to make those transitions sometimes between different forms. And it's not always as easy as just you're on Broadway and then and the next minute you're in a film, it's not super easy to switch on and off that light. Yeah, they are, they're very separated. Technicalities, I guess they are in a different in a way, but I don't know, you know, call me pretentious, but I think that everyone, every actor or everyone that wants to be an actor should become as rude as they can in theater because, and, and reading plays, because it forces you to really focus on the character. You get in, get you get on screen and or in front of a camera and you can you can lie. It's it's everyone anyone can lie to a camera. That's that's the beauty of it in a way. Yeah. And I'm not knocking any actors or directors or DPs or anything, but No, um, absolutely not. But yeah, I think if you really want to hone in on building characters and understand what that's really like, then you sh- absolutely should start with theater. And it and it can be a hard transition, I think for for some people, absolutely, um, just toning things down and making things very minimal. But but I think yeah, I, I think there's there can be a lot of progression for people if they start there first. And and just going into different forms too is I had recently been in touch with the good Mister Kyle Hupman. He he let me know about a radio play he's been working on, and I was Han and I have bounced that subject back and forth a couple of times and mm-hmm. just talked about the the concept of doing that and it's, it's such an easier thing to produce than a film it's obviously not easy to produce them but it's it's a different it's a simpler ball game than a film because you're completely cutting out the visual yeah so it's you can you can kind of do everything in a closed room it's kind of like it's more like a table read and you can kind of workshop it more in the in the interim which i've always thought was really kind of cool it's it's a more condensed writer's room kind of atmosphere which i think is like a fun thing to play with but i i voiced some characters for his show and it's the first time i've really flexed my acting muscle in quite some time and i got to that robin williams kind of i do voices yeah my voices and it was fun because i haven't really gotten to do that in quite some time. And I was, I, I was, I really missed doing this. I was, I want to do more of this, but so it, it, just, it was a lot of fun. Cause I, I think I voiced something like six or seven characters in this show. That's awesome. All in like one quick go. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was just, it, it was fun to even, cause all the acting I've done before, I haven't done, ever done a radio play before. I've been on the radio before, but I've never done character work for it. So that was a, that was just a fun, fun area to play in. Totally. Yeah. Uh, since they're on our cameras, were you wearing clothes or were you just totally in the nude? Oh, no, because it was Kyle. We were totally in the nude. Yeah, yeah, okay, I figured. <laughs> I yeah. knew it. <laughs> yeah. You got to go that way. That's, I mean, that's, that was the pandemic, right? You just Zoom, just pop your pants off and just have the meeting. Yeah, yeah, because who's going to know? But <laughs> Well, they right. know now, but... <laughs> yeah. I think How there was, would they know? I think there was... Wasn't there some... I mean, I'm sure it happened a lot, but there was some news article or something or someone retelling a story about how they forgot that they were on a zoom or something and went to take a dump or i can't remember but all of the noise and sounds were there and like, hey kelly are, are you okay 
That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Which I, at first I was, how would you, how could you forget that you're on, you're live on a Zoom? But I'm sure when you do it 20 times a day, you're like this. I guess my computer's following me everywhere or whatever. Yeah, just gotta throw on that old mute and turn the camera off sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, don't make that mistake. If anyone, there's one one thing I can tell everyone: just don't make the mistake of not muting your audio if you go to the bathroom on a Zoom. Especially if it's a recording, then those poops are immortalized. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they'll. Uh, but yeah, hey, maybe they could. You know, you could. They could win a, a radio award or something. You know, you never know. Or a remix. You know, could be could go viral. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Actually, I have a. I used to do these pranks where I would because Spotify has some really really good farting sounds. And, and I know we're getting yeah. way off topic here, but I would. That was uh, good. I'm all for it. <laughs> good. I would. Yeah, I would. I would turn it on really soft. And put it, I mean, I would do all sorts of things. I'd go to a friend's house and put my phone in the bathroom and then close the door. And then we'd just be in the living room and I'd be like, whoa, what is that? What the hell? Just like, and they'd just be totally stunned by where the farting was coming from. But the best is in public. If you like go into a, a department store or something, you're just kind of standing there looking at clothes mm-hmm. and then it just goes off randomly. It's, oh, it's the best. <laughs> That, make, that reminds me of, there's a comedy group that I I, follow, I started following in college, and then I reached out to them. They're super nice group of dudes. But they were, in college, they were based in Chicago, but then they moved. They got a lot into advertising and stuff, and then they moved out to L.A., and they did a lot of voice work and stuff. <laughs> they, got, they got involved with this this sound designer, Joe Flood. He, he does sound design for his company, Floodgate Audio. <laughs> Joe has this like database of fart sounds. They did they did one of their short episodes of their show that they have on YouTube. They they did this one where they just went in and they're recording fart sounds for Joe's database, <laughs> the the sound booth. <laughs> it's just yeah, God, it's, it was one of the funniest videos I've ever seen. How, so. how many different ones did they have? Do they have videos or or sounds? The sounds, yeah, or 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 the but the sounds particularly. <laughs> I think that they mention it in the episode of the show is something like a couple hundred gigabytes or something like that. (laughs) And he's just going through, scrubbing through them all. He's like, man, I could always use more. And then just like, oh, other guy's coop positions the mic super low in the booth. (laughs) And he he writes this handwritten script out, fart, poop, squeet. (laughs) (laughs) This like childlike handwritten script. That's amazing. Wow. I mean, hey. It's random every time, right? No one can perfect the fart sound, I guess. So. Yeah, it's a it's a continuously flowing art, and one person makes a fart, and then the next person takes their interpretation of that fart, <laughs> and it just before you know it, it's mimetic. Yeah, totally. I you know I think oh, we should embrace it. Coming the fart you know? episode now. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We went from character building <laughs> to character farting. Yeah, yeah. I th- you know I think we should embrace it more. I mean, think about how many uncomfortable people there are right now because they're just you know they're holding it in. Yeah, that is people true. are too repressed. You need to let it out. Much, much like the form of acting, you need to release, release your personality, release your gas into the world. Yeah, no, totally. If my if my impulse, if my character has an impulse to let it rip, pff, you know I'm going to do it. Hey, it's always a good conversation when you can have Aristotle, Shakespeare, and Kafka, and flatulence all in the same, <laughs> all in the same go. <laughs> Oh my god! They're re- they're related somewhat. I, I can I'm sure there's a tie in there somewhere. Oh no, they're definitely related. I, I feel. <laughs> I don't doubt that Shakespeare ripped ripped quite a few in his day. Well, I think wasn't it? Or maybe that was belching. That's that's a whole different topic. But yeah, we're like, what was it that if if in the dark ages or medieval ages, whatever, 
if if you were if you belched at dinner or at the feast, it meant that the food was well cooked or something like that. Yeah, it was like a point of compliment, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think farting was the same though. I think that was just you should probably leave the table. Maybe I don't know. Just common courtesy. You just grace the grace out of the room a little bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I agree. How, Sense so, of propriety. Are, yeah. Right. <laughs> Let me ask you guys, do you guys go, do you go see a lot of theater? I know, I mean, obviously movies are very accessible, but I don't know, it's been a while since I've been to Pittsburgh, but do you guys go and see theater or even improv much there? I've seen more improv than I have theater of late. I had the, I had the good fortune to go see a lot of Nick's stuff. Mm -hmm. He was kicking around with the, wouldn't it be nice? Um, yeah. A lot of that stuff was a lot of fun to see. That's cool. No, I was gonna say, I, I try to as well. Well, last thing I saw was actually, I didn't realize this, there's a, a decent magic place where they bring in performers last gentleman i saw was actually he won the pen and teller fool us and it it's interesting how being in the room for a live performance there is there is a difference i can remember when in school having written more scripts for film my professor was challenging us to okay try to figure out a story that lends itself better to a live performance something that someone would just say oh you, you had to be there because it brings a different element to it and, th and that was always something that I enjoyed about theater is you never quite know what the story or how the performance is going to go that evening. And then no matter what, it will always be slightly different than a next showing in a movie theater. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know why this movie think of this, but I've, obviously right now with the WGA and SAG as well, but, you know, going on strike, primarily the concern is AI, which I'm sure you both know. The yeah. It kind yeah. of, it's kind of interesting in a way because if, if we move into more automated writing and things like that, that's something that like you, Han, considered like won't be considered at all by AI. And, and just like in performance as well, like maybe you show up on set and you do 10 takes. Well, if, if AI is doing it, it's just one take, like maybe within those 10 takes, like a actor was only feeling was feeling really burnt out on take three or maybe something they yeah had a memory of their late mother in take four or whatever and it's interesting though to when you think about all that because yeah with 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 live performance whether it's in theater or or magic even those things i think come up even more if if someone's doing a four-week run of a, of a play like it's gonna be very different every single night most of the time probably they're just really worn out from doing so many shows but <clears throat> i think we kind of take those things for granted and especially until you go and see live theater or magic or improv yeah i think i think ai is getting a little scary but yeah absolutely yeah i think i think if it as long as it's yeah as long as it's not taking the creative i guess part of it all away then then that's that's obviously the concern here i think with all of that when and you could look at it and be like, well it's it's, they're going to ruin the industry blah, 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 by striking against it or whatever. But I don't know. I think that's kind of a silly. I, and I, I've heard that a little bit, not not from people I know, but just like reading about it. Yeah. Like people are, think it's going to destroy the industry that writers aren't on board with it or actors aren't on board with it. But I don't know. I think it's kind of silly to. As far as the strike is concerned, I think there's a lot to be worried about there. And I think that there's a healthy conversation to be had and i mean obviously like the whole industry is shut down as a result of this but you know i think it does open a worth a very worthwhile conversation as to keeping worth on and keeping the importance on people who are doing the work yeah no i i agree and i think it's funny because i know a lot of actors certainly ones that are not constantly working 
<clears throat> or ones that rely on it as an income and kind of almost are living paycheck to paycheck from it. But yeah, in a way, the strike is kind of is like a huge obstacle now for them because it's like, okay, well, if, if we're going to, if this is going to really happen, then my, my income is just totally gone for a little while. But the, the difficult part, the really difficult part with that is you, want, you really have to try and think long term because, okay, yeah, you might miss out on income while there's a strike happening for a few months for, for SAG. Mm-hmm. But, these, but then in the future, it, you're going to run into an even worse problem. So it's better to go through that now and figure it out than to maybe years from now and then you really need the money to survive or whatever you're trying to retire for it to just suddenly just disappear. That would be a huge headache. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the harsh and severe conversations that are being had are worth a stoppage for sure. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how I think all of this plays out for sure. And those guys, they're all creating characters out there on the picket lines and things like that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, hey, if you ask ChatGPT, because I've done, it'll tell you that, no, it it won't replace a a person or a writer or, or an artist. And you trust the robot. <laughs> hey, someone's got to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe we can, maybe our, our children can just be AI from now on. Really, really put a yeah. dent in that population. Growth. Have my little robot son walk. <laughs> it does. It, it always, whenever I read about it, though, it always brings me back to Philip K. Dick novels or even Blade oh, Runner, too, where it's just like, are yes. animals going to be robots? And we'll really want the animal that's real or, or even food. But if you're thinking about The Last of Us, like, are we gonna mm-hmm. suddenly have all this artificial food and then but when we get that one strawberry that's real, man, will that be amazing? Yeah. It's even just like the the writing process that changed from the novels for Phil K. Dick to the screen for Blade Runner, the extensive writing process that those went through. Yeah. And I think a lot of it was emerging that world to what Ridley Scott was connecting with Alien, but it's there was a lot of interesting conversation generated between that process that I always found fascinating. And it's a lot of it is what is consciousness, what is what makes an individual an individual. I think that's some spicy stuff. It is. <clears throat> and it's it's funny because I feel like a lot of that stuff, those ideas when they kind of come to light they're often rejected at first. And I, and I, and obviously a lot of novelists have, uh, in the past have dealt with this, maybe not so much today, I guess, but just these, these ideas that are really hard to understand maybe when you really think about it. And that's scary to people. Certainly what, if it's yeah. a film that was created and it's, I mean, in the, maybe, I may be thinking of this wrong, but I think in the, was it in the early 1900s or something, there was a movie that that screened and people did they burn down the theater i can't remember but it was so real to them and so hard to comprehend that like yeah. pictures could be moving that they burned down a theater in chicago or something like that i, I might be mixing it up but yeah no, i definitely remember that story i don't remember the particulars was it, but you, was it you one definitely of the Lear brothers films like, i think it was after that maybe it was after that okay yeah but but the the um the i'm losing the the name the title now but um, their movie, when the, the, they first uh, presented it to the world, like terrified people. They actually thought all these things were happening and they were, you know, like in the theater, which is crazy. We think about where we are today and it's like, man, to, to go through something like that, that is just wild. Well, yeah, and that, my, a quote from Carl Sagan that I always stuck with me when I read it was, what does it mean for a civilization to be a million years old? Mm. And I, I've always thought, what does when you when you look at art particularly where does i mean art kind of 
I feel at least what were the mediums we used have changed, but how you brought up earlier with Greece, ancient Greece and that classical time, the stories that we're telling and, and the performances and how they're given are pretty much very, very similar. I, um, now when you get into more technology, where does it, where does it go from here? And how does, how would like the performer or the performance and the story change? Well, well, well into the future. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of a redundant thing, but it's the whole history repeats itself idea, right? Where we, we almost, we're constantly writing the same idea over and over again. The thing that changes, of course, though, is just perspective. And, and, and that's the beauty again of, of art, I guess, right? Whether it's a novel or a play or a screenplay or, and then, movie and all that that stuff's all personal so it's everyone's personal take on it and i think those are the things that when something's super relatable it's comfortable but if there's a personal touch on it it's, oh that's really really relatable but i never thought of it in that way even though i fully understand it and i think yeah. that's a whole a whole other level of certainly going back to like building a character or writing a screenplay or actually piecing together a movie it's these things that Rather than something that we've never seen before, it's something that's so relatable, but there's there's a slight twist to it that maybe we never thought could happen. Yeah, it's, I think that's where the riffing comes in play. It's different voices come in and I think can shape, shift, and mold and kind of got to roll with the punches, as it were. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, yeah. All that, yeah, all that being said, yeah, you need to be open as well, of course, to a lot of different information that's hitting our brain constantly. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to keep up with sometimes, but yeah. I think the more you can roll with the changes, the faster things can flow. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. We'll see. We'll see where, where history leads, I guess, or the future of history. It's just going to be interesting to see how roles change. I mean, how art direction that goes into play now, we, we have the volume stage, the virtual environment. It's You can literally build a whole city as a backdrop, like they did most recently with Warner Brothers' t new take on the Batman. It's mm -hmm. like they built Gotham as a, backdrop, as a backdrop to the stage. It's, all right, well, that kind of changes the game a little bit, and it kind of goes back. That's a similar thing to back to the days of Pixar's WALL-E. They, they folded Roger Deakins in as a DP in a digital sense, so he's sitting there collaborating, literally just voicing what he would do to these digital artists, and it's... It's a new space. It's a, it's an interesting thing, and it kind of changes up your perspective on these roles a little bit. And it's well, there's not ways to shut people out. There's ways to fold people in and bring interesting perspectives of, like in Wally's case, bring in a cinematographer's perspective to how you would light a scene in a digital environment or how you would frame something. And you have these perspectives coming into different art forms, and it's things are molding and evolving. The volume stage, which formed with the creation of Netflix's Dark, which is a great series. Brian, you messing this up already for us? <laughs> yeah, I'll cut it out. Okay. Yeah, the podcast is it's over. Like Dennis it's done. On the it's done. <laughs> no, you we, know, uh, it's like yeah, the next the next I, announcement is uh, we've been canceled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, cancel cancel culture is still strong. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I think it. Is, I think that is really great that they're able to kind of mold roles a lot more. But I do have something to say about create using sound stages and the panel boards like yeah. you're talking about right now. And I, I recently went to a studio that had one and it made me think, I was like, this, this is great because obviously it's a very controlled environment for the sound guy. It's a very controlled environment for the, the, the gaffers, for the DP. It's a great environment for production because there's just less obstacles to have to deal with. Yeah. But, and you, you could say, well, it's the actor's job to be able to get to a place and feel like they're actually in that world. If they're not on in a location 
or when they're in a location, whether it's a musty old house and that's part of the story, or the top of a skyscraper and that's part of the story. If they're not feeling those places, I feel there's an element of a performance, certainly, and especially with, with a character that just, it kind of, there's a void there a little bit. And I, and I think I think a lot of actors have gotten really good at doing all, a lot of virtual filming, but I think ultimately yeah. you need you need the smell of the room. You need the the feeling of the air hitting your skin on top of that skyscraper. And I think those are all really helpful. And again, you, like, I, like I said, you could say, well, it's your job as the actor to be able to get there regardless of what you have. But those things add a whole extra that's element fair. to That's fair. That's fair. I, but I think that's why filmmakers like Christopher McQuarrie, Christopher Nolan, who have this determination to use these real-world practical situations, right. I think that's why there's a, such a value on them right now. So look at what Chris... It's, it's a Tom Cruise movie, but look at Dead Reckoning coming out soon. It's built a train because they couldn't get one, and they very well could have used even just used miniatures to shoot on and then soundstaged the interiors of the train. But it's no, they literally built a functional train, shot on it practically, and blew it up just so they could do it with a real train. Yeah, that's pretty. And I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of value in that for the, such a broad cast of actors. It's, that makes that makes the production process easier because everybody's in it. Right. And it's there isn't as much as much pretending going on. It's everybody is in it and reacting realistically. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. I forgot what I was going to say, but Han, did, you had something you were going to say a second ago. <laughs> Oh, before, no, something, and this is kind of more of a hard right turn from the main thing we were talking about there. It just made me think, when you're looking at a story or read a book or trying to do a performance, where where does the story start for you as, a, as an actor? Does it, does it start with the character? or And if it does, is there a certain thing you look for to build from the beginning? Well, I can let you a little on my process. So I almost always read a script as an outsider, as a spectator. And I do that, and it's just a pretty common practice. I'm not the next Einstein of acting. It's, you, you want to read through it just to understand the story and not put any, I guess, unperceived notions on the characters as you're going through. So really, like, focus on, on the story itself first and less on the character. And then, and then you, you kind of take your time, or I t- take my time, doing, doing as much research as I can on maybe the time period or the setting or things like that. And also what the character is going through in the beginning, the middle and end, because I think, I think it's easy to jump right into a character, but if you don't know all the, all of the external things that are going on before you jump into the internal things that are going on, you're leaving a lot out. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Which if you go back to Stanislavski, What's that? Sorry. No, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that lends a lot of credit to you as an actor because I, I known actors that wouldn't go out and do their own research. They would expect that to be on the page. And I, I think that says a lot about, we've said before, putting in the work. You, I, I've seen you actually in the zone and doing it. And I think you bring your A game every time I've seen. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I think, yeah, if, if, it's, a, if it's a really well written script, then I think a lot of it will be there. But it's still up to you to really understand each individual component of of a scene and especially locations i think it's i think it's easy to, to just because the writer put those locations there for a specific reason he or she had those in their head when they're writing the script for a specific reason so or even even a prop sometimes there'll be a thing it's, it was a 1956 ford pickup red you really need to get that yeah. image in your head of what it is so that every time you're there even if the truck is right in front of you it's also in your head too and I think it's easy to just kind of 
accept what the, the writer has written on the page and not really look into it more. And maybe, I mean, you're really, you're a detective, honestly, that's what it is. You're a detective, maybe a private detective. Yeah. You're not necessarily trying to find out if this woman's husband is having an affair, but you're, you're digging deep like that. I like that take on it a lot. I think, I think that's an interesting perspective to have just because you kind of not just navigating the original material, but someone's personal take as a director, the environment that's built by the director, the art director, and how it's how it's being captured, you have to play too. So there's a lot of a lot of elements going on there to keep in your head when you're in that process. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And when you get on set, you you wanna you wanna be able to because there's a lot of there's a lot of technicality sometimes. So you're not gonna be on every set's different. Some of them work with the actor really well in the sense that they you have the freedom to move around and do whatever. And some are so technical that you you need you almost, you're multitasking in a way, even though it's something we can't do as human beings, really. Yeah. You're having to make sure you hit those marks precisely, but also the character needs to be there, too. So if, you're do, if you do all that work ahead of time, then the character will, will hopefully be there, and you can just also focus on the technicality of everything. I think there's, that's why it's, it's important to allow time in the production process for blocking things out. They always tell you block, light, rehearse, shoot. Mm-hmm. I, think I think that's a very, impo- a very important process because it allows everybody to kind of gel together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Except for fight scenes. I think fight scenes, you just kind of go in and just start punching each other for real. Who needs a choreographer? Yeah. <laughs> And that's, that's when you have your crew come in ahead of time. They know where they keep in touch with the choreographers for where it's going to occur. And I think that's a deeper process, but it is kind of, it's a longer form of the same thing just, but it's the choreographers keeping you guys in the moment in the situation because you have serious safety concerns on hand. So it's, it's keeping all those wheels turning. Yeah. Every single person on set is important. And it's, I, I, it's funny because you hear stories all the time with A-list actors and some of them talk to every single person on set. Some of them don't. But either way, every single person down to the PA is important. And you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think I've embarrassed myself enough. So I think we're all <laughs> I mean, I can embarrass myself too, but I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I embarrass myself every week, my man. Incredibly grateful for you to take the yes, time today so to come much. on with us. I, I really appreciate it. I was just saying, I listened to the first two episodes, really liked what you guys were doing. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's cool to hear some deep dives, certainly into the, the Greek stuff you're talking about earlier. Yeah, we're, we're trying. We're, try, we're trying to get there. But thank Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think just generating the conversations on the different processes and stuff and getting everybody. I, I had a couple people hit me up about guest starring, so we're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it takes time. It takes time to build these things like anything. And uh, I think you guys are off to a good start. I maintain Brian has cool, thanks, blackmail people. That, that's what I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got my dirt. <laughs> Because that's how that's how that's why I keep doing this. He's got so much dirt on me. I'm like, well, okay, I guess. You're just trying to hang out with your family today, and he's yeah. like, hey man, I've got that yeah, picture man. of you. Don't forget, <laughs> it's the Polaroid. I know where the secret family is, Han. <laughs> no, I love it. It's great. It's all good stuff. Yeah. So, well, yeah. That's. I think that brings us to time. So, anytime you want to come back, man, you're you're more than welcome. Zuskafka, tell me. Tell me. <laughs>